0: I'm Laura Ortiz, and I've decided that I'm one of the new hosts of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I'm also known as Benedict Cumberpatch.
1: Sci-Fi <laughs> Saturday. Oh my, <laughs> by Saturday. sci We will begin in advanced invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that we will give you witchcraft. You think me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated.
2: That is the message to will bring you all people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up.
1: By by Saturday night.
2: It is Talkcast 131, and oh my God, it's post convention night here on Sci Fi Saturday night. Deep in Area 51 at the sub level 27 Merchant Marine Hologram Memorial Bowling Lanes and Raw Bar, I am the Dome. And joining us tonight are many of the usual suspects. Uh, we're missing a few tonight from the stacks of a personal silence zone in the Dank Dungeon Reading Room. She's running the soundboard tonight, running it like Boss Hog on Acid. It's Zombrarian.
3: Everybody mute yourselves in the silent zone.
2: <laughs> From the four color vault of comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, the man who is the official announcer of Boston Comic Con, attention, Kmart shoppers, Kevin Eastman is on aisle six. It's Illustrator X.
4: And I'm still waiting in line. Wait, are you saying he's not there anymore? The line hasn't moved.
2: <laughs> Wait. Week- and his lovely ingenue, the woman who is apparently the vodka king's wench, the dead redhead.
0: Come on, bug the dead redhead. <laughs>
2: Joining them tonight in the vault is Barnabas, the zombie cat. And <laughs> and our guest tonight, our guest tonight, is a master of science fiction and a gentleman of the genre. Norman Spinrad. Norman, thank you for joining us tonight. I
0: love him. Yay!
2: <laughs> In the second half of our show, we're going to be talking about the illustrious career of Norman Spinrad from the Solarians and Bug Jack Baron all the way through to Osama the Gun and what's gone on between then and now. We're going to start off the show as we do every week with our Facebook poll. This week's Facebook poll. Which doctor out of science fiction would be least likely to be helpful?
0: To get, no, least likely to give you medical attention. And we did have some very interesting one or two votes here and there, but we have a definite top three. There is no question. Coming in at third place, because again, our. Our listeners are old school, and we love them for being old school. In third place is Dr. Smith from Lost in Space.
2: Oh, dear boy. Oh. <laughs> oh,
4: the pain. The pain. The pain. I think Billy Mooney's stuffing the ballot box again. <laughs> much. Yeah.
0: I'm, I still want him on the air. Anyway, yes, um, coming in at number two is one of the Dead Redhead's personal favorites, Dr. Victor Von Doom straight out of Latveria. Yay!
2: Because everybody needs one of them. Yep. <laughs> but the winner has to be one of the oh. best choices we've had ever and I like it a lot.
0: Our winner this week and there may be a blonde-haired um Mm-hmm. fan who's probably not listening at the moment down in Rhode Island who would be very excited if you knew this. But our number one doctor who would least likely to give you medical attention McCoy. is... Is Dr. <laughs> is Dr. Frank Enferter from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Woo!
3: <laughs> applause! 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 That's funny. At work today, you know what crossed my desk? What crossed your desk? The what? official <laughs> movie script... With the audience part- participation nice. written in someone ordered this through interlibrary loan. I probably am not <laughs> supposed to say that for privacy reasons, but I didn't
4: tell you who. Oh, it's a Rocky
0: of- never seems to go out of style.
4: Kind of it's amazing a night of censored topics. <laughs> <laughs> you know so what else so never so goes out of what? style?
0: Uh-oh, she's going. She's I'm what? going. I'm
3: going hey, for the I'm going, going for the Segway. I- no, no, I'm, I'm going for the segue. You know what else never goes out of style? Tell me. Kiss.
2: <laughs> oh, God.
4: Oh. Yes, a Boston Comic-Con wrap-up here. Oh, and, my and, God.
2: Ladies and, oh. ladies and
3: gentlemen. I just gave Doma a flashback. <laughs> if,
4: if you're one of the 9,000 people we got to meet last uh, weekend... Holy crap.
0: 9,000?
4: Wall-to-wall Wall, a... people. It was kind <laughs> of amazing. I... I can't thank you people enough for uh, coming up to the booth and saying hi. It was really nice to meet some of our fans. Um, I I actually got to meet one or two while I was running a volunteer work. Uh, Zombrarian, you guys got to actually work the booth. What was what was it like?
2: Well, it was disorganized mayhem, which kind of is like what we do every day.
0: <laughs> hey, what's new with that? <laughs>
2: But it was probably pretty, uh, pretty awesome, to be honest with you. Um, you know, just having people come up and go, what are you? Or <laughs> having other people walk up and go, yeah, I really like what you guys are doing. Yay. Um,
3: that was probably I, the most fun was having people. This was the first year I think we've had people come up and say, "Hey, I li- I know this. I listened to your podcast. I didn't know you guys are gonna be here. It made me feel famous and stuff."
2: Yeah, you're momentarily famous. Okay, but here's and- what made me feel awkward. <laughs>
0: yes. I can think of many things at that show that, that could have made you feel awkward, including some of the poison ivies. But anyway. <laughs>
2: M, if you're listening tonight, you were the best poison ivy I have ever, yes, ever seen. Yes, she was. Yes, oh my God.
0: she is. No,
2: but there Others was. Others were
0: not as good.
2: There was a <laughs> Kiss tribute band. Okay, and I don't understand the Kiss
3: experience. Is. What I don't is, understand
2: what the crossover
3: is. Kiss had a comic book. I get They
0: that. did? That's right, Illustrator X. You should know Not that. current one. <laughs> they had their own blood in their comic
3: book. Oh, please. I, I
2: was accosted by two members of this group during a video, <laughs> video.
3: I will defend them by saying you approached them for a video interview and you didn't expect this.
2: And I, I'm standing between two gentlemen uh, in, in foot-high platform Boots.
4: You're being so very polite.
2: And cod pieces.
4: <laughs> Gentlemen. Yeah, gentleman <laughs> is
2: not the word I would have used, but go with it. And, and, and yeah, it, the video will be up on the website soon. And when it is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, you, you
3: will see the fear in Dome's eyes. Oh
2: <laughs> it, it was not to be believed.
3: They were very nice they to were, me. They were.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to point out and make a special announcement that uh, our very own Dead Redhead is now an official member, staff member of the Boston Comic-Con. Oh, congratulations.
3: Applause, applause. <inaudible> <laughs> 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 I wish I knew where the applause button was on the soundboard.
2: I don't think we have an applause button on the soundboard.
3: <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> I,
0: literally stood, I literally stood 28 hours over two days.
3: Literally. Mm. So, and she and she um, won't ever say this, but she was gracious and kind through the entire show, which I could not have done. So, props you to you. you
0: guys, I'd like to say thanks not only to Kim and Bob Shaw, to Jimmy and Nick and Colin for just putting it together. It was an amazing show, but I also want to give a shout out to... Kevin Eastman is a saint. That's all I'm going to say. The man is a saint. Uh, thank you to Simon Bisley. Thank you to Jeremy Bastion. We got to meet him. Oh, amazing. Man. Jeremy, you are a
3: gentleman uh, and a scholar.
4: I just want to say something the, about you. The term. Oscar music is starting to rise. I know. <laughs>
0: to, thank uh. you to Carl, to Carl Edwards. Thank you to um, to Ed McGuinness and to... Um, oh gosh! Who else was there that we got George to? Mike Lilly and all the gentlemen from okay. Mad Magazine and
3: from
4: Women'sology okay. and
3: Tom Snegowski and Snegowski
2: and
4: the people who brought us our beer in, in the pub across the street afterwards.
3: <laughs> oh yes, and big thanks to our our terrible rivals, the League of Ordinary Gentlemen, for throwing the party.
2: Absolutely, yes. Although I don't actually remember bumping into them, although I bumped into a number of other things that night. You did
3: bump into them, literally oh. and figuratively.
2: Oh, Lord. <laughs>
3: there are probably photos somewhere.
2: Uh, that's what I'm afraid of. That having <laughs> so, been said.
0: Oh, so we
1: Thank
2: you, Julie. Of course. <laughs>
1: And Sarah, Ritchie. and that's it for last week's news.
4: What's going on in the news this week? With uh, what's that old show they call Star Trek?
2: Uh-oh. Wow. Okay. Well, Star Trek. And this this is something maybe we can bring Norman in on. Um, the word is out uh, that J.J. Abrams is actually blocking a Star Trek television series. Because Brian Fuller wants to do it, but J.J. Abrams has convinced Paramount this is a bad idea. It's going to quote dilute the franchise. Now, Norman, as someone who wrote for the original Star Trek, uh, what are your feelings about this?
1: Well, um, I have had some dealings with uh, with the James Coley situation, which is, you know, an amateur thing. Um, I think Mr. Abrams is trying to take over the whole franchise. Now, the corporate structure behind this is that CBS uh, has the franchise for all the old stuff and Paramount has the franchise for any new TV series and for the films. This is because Viacom tried to combine paramount star uh, and 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 CBS and 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 the Star trek part of that uh, when they when, when they acquired both companies and it didn't work um uh, I think Abrams wants to take over the star trek franchise uh, and anything else will no doubt dilute uh his his ambitions here um which is why I had my problems with him uh, and why he is trying to block anybody else from doing any new Star Trek stuff. Uh, one of the reasons he thinks it will dilute the franchise, I think, having seen the movie and having me go around this, is frankly, and I can say this, I, I saw the James Cawley phase two things, um, you know, uh, one-hour shows. i thought about four of those are mm-hmm. uh, they are infinitely better than <laughs> the film that Abrams made, and probably be better than the, than the film he, was, he he is making now um he's afraid that somebody will make him look bad um um wow and i think i you know i think i think uh, i you know when he came in to take over you know to make the film. Oh, uh, he went around saying that he, had no, he didn't know anything about Star Trek. He didn't want to, uh, blah, 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 It's It's much like what happened when Ridley Scott uh, made Blade Runner and said that he, um, no, he had not read Phil Dick's book, The Androids, The Dream of Electric Sheep. But that was a different story because he hired David Peoples to write the screenplay, which is what he was looking at, and it was good and it was successful. Um it was artistically successful too. Uh, Abrams, Phil Abrams. If you look at his um, track record, with the exception of um, what's the thing? The cartoon thing. Come on, help me on this. Lost. Um, oh, you know, hurt. the robot in space. What's the name of it?
3: The, oh, the Transformers. Thing, right? no, 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 not
1: Transformers. That's no, Michael Bay. Track. Sorry. The robot. The robot. No. Um, the cartoon. Um. Oh. What? Come on. No, I'm not J. sure you... JJ is doing the cartoon. Yeah, Iron uh, Giant. Trans- yeah, yeah. But the transformer—that's that. You know, that was low schlock. The guy's uh, basically a schlockmeister and has no connection to the cultural influence and and what Star Trek really means. Right. Uh, he's basically. The kind of stuff he's doing, and I think he was, you know, the kind of stuff he's doing, you know, you're doing films based on on, on, on toys. Uh, it's like the Marvel superhero stuff. Uh, he is afraid, I would imagine, that anybody who really <laughs> has 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 some passion and artistic feeling about this will make him look bad by comparison. Um, and that's one of the problems he's having with me. Um, so I... Uh-huh. This is a corporate. This is a corporate struggle here, between Paramount, and CBS, because way back when, uh, CBS acquired the rights, the DVD rights, the the the, the um, book rights, and all that stuff, to the previous Star Trek stuff. Whereas Paramount kept the rights to make new movies and make a new series. So. Actually, Abrams, you know, legally speaking, corporately speaking, probably has the power to block anything that isn't done by Paramount. CBS can't go around him. So it's a question of what his his power is at Paramount.
2: That's what the game is about. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, we're forced now to sit and wait and see what the next Trek movie does. And if it doesn't... Um,
1: It may be more complicated than that, but yeah, I mean, um, it's a big difference between making some movies, uh, making a couple of movies, and making a viable series. Uh, The idea is to spin off a series on a movie, you know, like they did it's sort of like what they did with the next generation reverse first you had the series then you made the movies right here they got the movies and they hope maybe they'll make the series and then they will have be able to have uh, new toys and new models and all kind of things right. like they do with all the Marvel marble superhero stuff Um right. this is the way to start things, and um... We'll see what happens. Uh, but basically, it is it is about a, uh, a corporate struggle, I think, between between Paramount and, and CBS. Even though they're both owned by Viacom,
2: and and the whole thing is the Viacom issue because Viacom really holds a stake in both of them. And Viacom they own it. at yeah. one point, yeah, they own both of them.
1: But like like many public like like many things in our, in our wonderful globalized economic system, they own both of them in a kind of complicated way, but that doesn't mean that the two things are integrated or synergetic. They tried to do that, and it didn't work.
2: But, But, you know, the reality is when we had multiple series, when you had uh, Deep Space Nine, for example, it never really ran on its own. Uh, The the first two years of it, uh, Next Gen was running with it, and the last couple of years of it, Voyager was running with it.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, I Joseph I, wrote, the thing, wrote the whole thing, which was amazing. No, oh, that's yeah?
4: Babylon Five. Yeah, he wrote. He wrote every. He, he
1: wrote every episode. How he did this, I don't even want to think about. It, but I was <laughs> yeah. pretty good. Um, yeah. But uh, that, you have know, to write an entire series. I mean, oh I, yeah. I, you know, but wow. I mean, the reality
2: is, you had uh, uh, series overlapping, overlapping each other, and movies also doing well in that same time frame. And yet, Abrams is worried about now diluting the brand, and I, and I think that's bogus. I think that's a stupid. No, it's stuff. the other
1: way around. He f- he feels that the, you know the reality of it is that that this so, this thing has been going on since nineteen what Right. It is a by now, uh, uh, you know, uh, has a kind of cultural standing, like the novels of Dickens, which keep getting done. Uh, uh, he is. He is, uh, I think he has an inferiority complex. Uh, about <laughs> Well, he's not Gene Roddenberry. No, he's not. Uh, Gene he's not. Roddenberry. Nobody's uh,
2: Gene Roddenberry, but Gene Roddenberry. No, he's
1: not. He's not Norman Spinrad. He's not David Gerald. He's not um,
4: Harlan Ellison.
1: Certainly <laughs> not Harlan Ellison. Um, he's not, and and he came into this thing saying that and being proud of his ignorance. Um, that, you know, and, and to try and reinvent the whole thing uh, with some complicated, alternate timeline kind of crap, just like what they do with uh, the Marvel superhero stuff. And, you know, the crossover things. Now they're doing some kind of Star Trek thing, a comic book. You've been at the Comic-Con, maybe you've seen this thing, but it, 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 it boggles the mind. Where somehow, you have a, Star Trek, I think it's I think it's next generation on some planet where they meet Doctor Who. What? 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 <laughs> yes. Yes. That actually
3: sounds kind of amazing to me, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean what? Uh, you know, um Matt, and and I don't know, maybe there'll be some vampires and stuff like that, you know. Um, <laughs>
3: The important question is: Will those vampires sparkle?
1: Sparkle, absolutely. <laughs> well, well, the vampires—you know—the vampires will probably be super. Oh no, they can't be Superman because that's DC, <laughs> right, right? And you're not uh, not they don't, they don't have the rights there, um, uh, and they certainly don't have the rights to Mickey Mouse. Although much of this is Mickey
4: Mouse. Well, isn't that going into public domain anytime soon?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. There's uh, the Disney wants some kind of suit where. They say, you know, uh, in in, uh, in copyright, uh, it's copyrighted seventy five years after the, the life of the author plus seventy five years. But Disney right. says, well, the author of of, of of this of Mickey Mouse and all that is a Disney Corporation. It's immortal, so we own the copyright <sighs> forever. Um, and
4: <laughs> and they got away with
1: it. Yep. Is
4: that how they got away?
1: Oh, they did. That's not all they got away. From. But uh, basically, yeah, a corporation is is, is immortal. Uh, the copyright law says seventy five, says seventy five you Now says life plus seventy five years. Well, we're not done uh, yet,
4: Jim. Well, thank <laughs> God that Mark <laughs> um, Twain never joined a corporation. Cause <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the same thing applies to, uh, I suppose, uh, the Star Trek.
4: Well, uh, of now that Marvel's part of the Disney Corporation, I suppose that means all the Marvel characters are immortal.
1: <laughs> Actually, it does. Uh, well, the it Marvel does. collectors are also immortal because that was all work for Howard. Too. Yeah. Right. That was Superman. You know, I mean, this is. You know, this is. Yeah, Siegel this and Schuster
2: found that out the hard way. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. So this is the this is this is this is the kind of thing that. Mayor, may- now who is it who you said, I, I didn't catch it, who wants to make uh, a new series? Um,
2: said, actually, Brian Fuller is talking about. Uh, Brian Fuller true. and...
1: and uh, said, well, um, I wish him luck. know, A new series of which version is the question?
2: You know, and that's going to be the real issue right now. I mean, Ooh. are we going to go back... Uh, at some point can we go back to canon with this? Ugh. I mean you know, they have screwed they've screwed the the original story with this movie so deeply and skewed it so deeply so that you know now you've really got two different universes. You've really got two different, two different Star Treks. Two different
1: well, that's universes, right. two different projects what you know the basic the basic reality here this is a story. These are stories. You can have different universes. You can have different Star Trek. These are stories. I mean, uh, the the Doomsday Machine, my you know iconic uh, original Star Trek uh, episode. Hey, it was based on Moby Dick. No, I admit that. Uh, that's called reference. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having. Um, you know, yeah, the new generation and the old stuff running at the same time, or Babylon, you know, or Babylon 5. This is fiction. It's stories. It's not actual history. I mean, people, you know, react to it like that, which is interesting.
5: <laughs> <laughs> but it's very,
1: it's very small and mean spirited and paranoid to say, well, are you know, are are you own this, you know, are are nobody can touch this thing. Even though I am out to kill, you know what? Forty years of of of, of this uh, universe, or whatever you want to call it, has established uh, the two things don't have to be antithetical. That's just some frogmeister um, who's afraid that, who doesn't really have a literary connection to the material, is afraid that. People who are more connected to with it uh, will make him look bad and will cost him the power over the thing, meaning a lot of money. Um, that's my take. That's 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 my that's my take on this. I think it's a shame. Um, I don't think this sort of thing has to be. I mean, James Cawley, on no budget forbidden to make any money on this stuff has actually, in my opinion, and I've seen a bunch of stuff, uh, even the effects, the whole thing, is far superior to the movie that Abrams made. On every level. Uh, why is Even that? the acting is better.
2: Why, why is that, um, do you think, Norman?
1: Why is that?
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess because he's
1: a better director. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, just... It, He's he's a better he's a better cinematic artist than 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 the than than Abrams who made the movie, uh, just because you got more money, and a giant budget compared to nothing, does not mean right. that you're going to make something better? Um, look yeah. at <laughs> if you must, John Carter of Mars, two hundred million dollars down the toilet. Well,
2: yeah, that's huge, um, huge, huge, huge,
1: huge, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, I mean. Things. You know, you can make. You know, look at um, Little Shop of Horrors. In my opinion, the original Little Shop of Horrors that 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 Roger Corman shot in, you know, in four days for fifteen cents, was definitive, and the stuff after it, which wasn't bad, wasn't nearly as good.
2: No, but 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 that's what that's what made it work. You know, having to yeah, yeah, yeah. do that that. $25,000 thing with Jack Nicholson.
0: Well, he made it yeah. on a bet. Yeah, he absolutely. He made it on a bet yeah. that he couldn't do it in, what, two days? He said he couldn't make a movie in, what was it, two days? Well, I, days I heard
4: something. that he had finished making Bucket of Blood, and he just had the set for three more days. He says, well, I'm not wasting that. I'm going to have another movie made. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I mean, what
1: I was told was four days. Oh, no, I was told it was longer movies. I mean,
4: <laughs> the way I see it, you know, an audience will forgive anything as long as the story is good. That's what story. it is. It's all about tell your story and tell it well.
1: It's about telling a story and t- telling about it well. So it's having a good story, but it's also having a, you know good ac- you know you know good actors yeah. and knowing how to shoot the thing. Um, right. you know, I think that I think that uh, Abrams is a good enough technical director and how to shoot the things. But if, yeah. anytime you see all those writing credits, you know there's something wrong. The more writers, yes. that's right. You got four, yes. or five writers on, a, on 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 a film. Oh, that ain't good.
2: That ain't Dome, good.
4: Uh, do you want to tell them the Electra story? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Basic, basically, when you get to the fourth and the fifth writer, they're in it for a paycheck because they're not really contributing anything of quality at that point. They're they're basically working for a company.
1: Well, they are working for a comp. Well, you know, it's it, it's more complicated than that. It's the first. The first script for uh, Blade Runner by um, Hampton Fancher was really bad. And Hampton Fancher comes down to uh, see Phil Dick in in Orange County. Phil meets him at the airport. And Fancher says to to Phil, Oh, what do you think of the script? Phil says, You want me to beat you up here or or we get back to my apartment? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then... But then Ridley Scott hires David Peoples, who also wrote a Star Trek, I mean, right. four to one, um, and does a really good job. So sometimes, you know, the second writer or even the third writer is, you know, is you know, I mean, listen, the, the New Testament had four writers on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, think about, it. you know, I have four, you know, four writers, and the scripts are inconsistent. Um, Five, because you know, Paul the,
3: wrote the letters.
1: And then Constantine, who was producing it at at, at Nicaea, it, it, you know, and there were other writers on it too. Their stuff ended up on the cutting room floor. They didn't get any credit. Uh, you know, and that book is still selling. <laughs> some, and the movie rights, you know, what called. So sometimes. Mel
3: Gibson you know, bought some of
1: them. Sometimes you need more writers, you know. Uh, it, it, uh, the serious thing about that is. What people like Abrams don't understand or want to, and not just Abrams, but like the author theory people, film, cinema, television, too, is a, is a, is a collaborative art form when it's an art form. It's a collaborative art form. Uh, Roddenberry understood that. Um, I understood that when I was working with Roddenberry. Uh, how how it, was it? It's the a work? collaboration between the producer... Writers, artists, directors. Um, I mean, you know, it's a complicated thing. One person doesn't make a movie. And one person doesn't make a television show. A script, no matter how good, is to the film as a blueprint, is to a building.
2: You know, I was i was watching uh, Rod Roddenberry's uh, documentary that he did about his father. I don't know if you had a chance to see that or not. And... He, he one of the things that was brought out was that Roddenberry was very contentious to work for. Uh, no,
1: I didn't find it that one. Some people did, you know. Uh, it depends. Well, maybe it depends on how good you are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no, really, because Gene was a good writer, and he had high, st- you know, he had certain standards. But the other thing is. Um, it's the attitude you go into a situation. Well, I'm a novel. I was writing about Jack Baron at the time I wrote the Doomsday Doom Machine. He asked me to uh, um, novelist, um, but I, so my ego was not as involved with having every last word of my script shot. You know, uh, I understood because I was also a film critic. That's how I ended up writing Star Trek. Because uh, I said something favorable about Star Trek and Cinema Magazine and stuff like that, he asked me to come in and write, you know, and, and 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 pitch something. I'd never written anything like that. I was, I was writing my fourth novel, um, so I didn't have that kind of, you know, ego thing. Not that I, I didn't want my work screwed with, but I mean, I understood from the get-go that this is a collaborative art form. I come in here, Gene says to me, "Listen, we're running out of money." Um, can you think of something that can be shot on standing sets? I don't understand what he's talking about. And I had so far I had this I had this idea this story right here and which was inspired by, you know, uh, in a way Moby Dick. I said, Yeah, I got something, okay. And, and 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 that's the way I approached the thing. And I didn't find Gene hard to work with. Um, at all. Um it was Gene Cole was hard to work with, but but George Gene Ronberry, i didn't find I didn't find hard to work with um I was not unhappy at all with um you know what was shot of the doomsday machine, which you know and then you know and then people tweak with the script a little bit and stuff like that
2: um, so as, as part of, of that thing. collaborative effort you were able to kind of be able to step back a little bit and go, Yeah, if yeah. this was a novel I it, this is how it needs to be, but it isn't, it's a television script and therefore it needs to be tweaked a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I wrote a werewolf once for Frank Lupo and, and, and Chris Sponge and Alan Cole. They would start and I show. had a, it was it was a thing where they were writing out uh, a character and I had a script and it was it, it was time pressure. So I I oh, time pressure so I the first draft, and I'm waiting for the rewrite notes. And, and, and I know oh, that to shoot it. So finally, I called Chris. I said, I, You expect me to rewrite this thing in a day? And he said, No, we're shooting it now. <laughs> <laughs> shooting it the first draft. Um, no problem. Um, so you have, you know, you have different different experiences. I didn't, I, 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 I Gene, whatever you say. She was really a serious guy about all this stuff. Um, he respected the material. He respected science fiction. He had he had a politics of a kind, uh, you know, cultural politics. Um, and I don't think you know I don't think he was particularly contentious huh. to uh, Mr. to Spirit. work with. I never had any problems. Mr. I agree on every hundred percent thing that he did, um, you know the Doomsday Machine itself. At the end of the thing, gee, uh, you know, uh, I'd like you to uh, draw the thing, and, and you know, but you know, I said, gee, I'm not an artist. Well, all right, I said, please, I'll try it. So I, I did a complicated thing, which which was my idea, and then I see the thing he shot. I said, you it know, looks like a, you know, looks like a, a windsock dipping cement. <laughs>
4: said, no, actually, well, that's what I always a, called it. It's the space sock I, episode. Jane says to me, Well, actually, it's it was a wind sock that they submit. That's
0: all we had the money for. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Spinner, yeah, actually, violent, you know. you've started to answer my question. I mean, you must have some pretty interesting um, interactions with Hollywood from some of the work you've had because some of your things, I believe, have gone up to be either be put in movies like Bug Jack Barron or so forth and then they didn't make it for whatever uh, yeah, reason.
1: Yeah, uh, well, I mean, you know, when it's, you know it's like Bug Jack Farris, is a movie that's also made by Costa Carver and Harlan Ellison wrote on it and I wrote a script. People always ask the wrong question, how come nothing gets made? How come, how come none of your stuff has gotten, your books have been made into a movie? It's the wrong question. The real question is how does anything get made? <laughs> I, I once, with with, the, with with a story called um, uh, Riding the Torch, uh, I, I ended up, I pitched this as a film six times in one day in Hollywood. Six times in one day. Uh, what are you doing? At that point, it was a lot of money. I said, what am I doing? I'm walking into uh, six guys' office, one after the other, and saying, Give me you know, give me ten million dollars to do this thing. You're asking people a lot of money. Um you know, ten million here, tell me and deal it you know, eventually it is up to something. Um that's that's it's a very it's it's a very expensive art form by its very nature. So it's really hard to get anything, you know, to get anything done. The odds are always against you. Um Why I up- why? Why I'm philic- more philosophical than, about this than, say, my friend Harlan, who you know really get bent out of shape about this kind of stuff. Every you know, <laughs> I get bent out of shape about it sometimes too. But I've been a film critic, uh, um, literary critic. Um, yeah. I've had a lot of stuff under option. I've written screenplays. Yeah. I've written. I wrote two movies in Europe. So- uh, uh, Druids so, and and and, and Le Rouge, they both got made, and they're both terrible movies. So <laughs> screwed, up, screwed up by directors. who don't think it's right.
4: So as a critic, what do you think of the films of J.J. Abrams? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think I'm trying to remember the name of it. I really liked
1: it. The, the, the robot... Come on, what's the name of it? Tony, you know the name of it? No. Was it the Iron Giant? No, no, it's the robot. The world has come to an end. It's a cartoon. wall What? Wally? what? It WALL-E? What? It's WALL-E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Stuff like Transformers 2 or 3 or crap, you know, that stuff, you know, that's schlock. Oh, well, absolutely. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not even worth talking but, uh, about. Um, but but getting... he did one good, you know, he did that good thing. Yeah. He's done, you know... Some good. You don't know who's what part he's done, whether he's written, or you know, because he's also a writer, uh, hey. and a producer, and it's it's complicated. But it's like the Star Trek movie was, yeah, you know, it was nothing. If, if it that movie, if it hadn't been Star Trek, if there had never been a Star Trek, and it's just the same thing with with, with the same kind of characters and the same kind of story. Uh, that wasn't connected to something, you know, to, to to a cultural icon like that. It would have been, you know, come and gone and no big deal. Um, so, but it was Star Trek. You know? And there's a certain responsibility, I think, when you're dealing with something like that. Um, You know, uh, it's a great kind of thing. I, I, we, we just saw... um. You know, the, the, there was the famous Moby Dick that Ray Bradbury wrote
4: with Gregory Peck. Oh, that was a and, great. With Orson Welles, yeah. yeah.
1: No, it wasn't Orson Welles.
4: Orson what? Welles was in the movie, though. Yeah, he played the whale.
1: Oh! I didn't recognize him. Um, <laughs> but now that you mention it. Uh, no, but, but then. More recently, I think it was BBC or something, remade remade did a Moby Dick with Patrick Stewart as Ahab, yes. and all the dialogue was out of out, out of the book, and it was really bitter. And Gregory Peck, who played Ahab in the primary thing, played a big part as the preacher, and he was terrific. It, it in the in a one with Patrick Stewart, just to show that yeah, he he respected the remake of the thing where he was a start to the point where he would take a bit part in it because he wanted to put his imprimatur on it. That's class.
2: Absolutely. Now, your your writing has been, uh, you've been no, uh, you have not shied away from controversy with your writing. Harlan Ellison once described uh, your book, uh, The Iron Dream, as disturbingly fascinating. And my guess is whenever Harlan Ellison can be disturbed by something, you've done well.
4: <laughs> well Besides
1: us. It was Heming- Hemingway said once that, that, that writer is the enemy of the state. Um, and what that means is, um, you know, you're writing something dramatic, uh, especially in science fiction, where you're creating a world that doesn't yet exist or did, didn't exist or is an alternate thing. So you're analyzing the actual world you're living in and altering it. Some people are going to be disturbed by that. You want to disturb people. You're trying to, you know, you're trying to shake them up. You're trying to make them think differently about something. Sometimes no, it's yes. a very positive thing and sometimes it isn't.
2: Now, X, when you first saw The Iron Dream on a bookshelf, what was uh-huh. your response?
1: Well, oh,
4: well, I the mean, first I cover of mean... The
1: Iron Dream was, was terrible. Uh, I knew what I wanted on that cover, which what was Hitler and on on a hog. Cover? You know, Hitler and a hog in a Superman <laughs> suit. And the American publisher, uh, Avon, said, You can't do that! Swastika! Th- oh, I put a big swastika behind it. And I said, swastikas don't. Your, your swastik is don't sell. I said, swastikas don't sell. Are you out of your mind? Um, but the British publisher did my thing, and it was a bestseller, you know. Um, and then I had a. I was having lunch with Sean McCarthy, who at that point was uh, was um, a book, not a what do they call it? A book promoter, direct, you know, packager.
5: Uh huh.
1: And this is when everybody's starting to do their, um, you know, their, their, their extended universe and stuff like that. And I said, "Well, why don't we just do the swastika saga?" Each, <laughs> you know, we, we <laughs> take everybody's pocket, you know, everybody's franchise universe, and then we have the SS and the Nazis come down in a spaceship, which is the way the thing ends in, in the orange ring. And the Panzers government, and, and you know, they destroy Middle Earth, and they destroy them darkover or whatever that. This is a joke. It was a joke. Was, right. And I don't even have to put my name on this, it's all by Hitler. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Nobody
1: oh. <laughs> it's a joke. And she says "It says, Yeah. Can I talk to my agent about this? I said, it's a joke. It's a joke. Yeah, I know it's a joke, but <laughs> oh, so, so our agent calls me up the next day, barely hypers and says can I phone to Jim Burnham uh, I I said. Um, I said, no, it's a joke. It's a Chump. Yeah, I know, but I said, let's see how far it's going. So I called my agent Jane Rosen. I tell her this story. I want somebody to tell me to stop. And she <laughs> says, <laughs> she says, we got to make sure we keep the merchandising
5: rights.
1: Oh. <laughs> Now, I can, no. I can tell you. If, if somebody is listening to this, I need money now. Okay. Um, I need money now. <laughs> so i listening to this. Now I might, now I might you know, now maybe I'm desperate enough to take the money for it now, especially when I got paid in, in, in euros or Deutschmarks.
2: Um, oh, my God. <laughs> now, The Iron Tree um, was actually banned in Germany for eight years.
1: was banned. Well, we always sort of, yeah, it was on the index of Germany for eight years. So I had a really idealistic publisher, Wilhelm Heine Verlag, and there was a Wilhelm Heine. And they spent a lot of money defending this book and finally winning the case um, in the equivalent of the German Supreme Court. Um,
2: but now, the cover had to be altered. Hmm? The cover of it had to be altered, didn't it? They didn't allow swastikas on the cover.
1: The first cover, we were, they were careful not putting on a swastika over, not putting Hitler on a cover. Once it was on the index, as you can see, see, the way it was banned was, you could buy it, but it was like buying pornography under the table. You couldn't advertise it. You couldn't put it on a rack. You couldn't put it, you know, you couldn't put it in a window or stuff like that. So I had a log after the first edition, which was careful. They said, well, screw it. And they put the Hitler on a hog cover on it. <laughs> <laughs> We're already in trouble now. So how hell would it? And, 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 you know, it went through five, for instance, or something like that. Um, and it and, wasn't just uh, the
2: German... It wasn't just the German government that's been upset with your work over time. The British Parliament actually got upset with you over Bug Jack Barron. It was. The British
1: Parliament defended Bug. This is what people you know, don't get.
2: Oh, um, I see. Okay. When I it was it.
1: published, when it was serialized in New Worlds in six parts, W.H. Uh, uh-huh. Smith, which is a big distributor, refused to distribute the magazine because of, because of the dirty words of politics or whatever. Uh, uh-huh. New Worlds was um, had a subsidy for the British Arts Council, which was a government thing, and the British Arts Council defended the magazine and defended the book, and there was a certain, you know, political right, right-wing political group in Parliament who was outraged that the British, that that an organ of the government was defending the magazine and the book. So actually, it wasn't the government that was censoring the book in England. It was W. H. Smith and the government, anyway, the Arts Council, was defending the book and defending the magazine, and that was why certain politicians in 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 Parliament, not the whole Parliament, uh, you know, called me a a nameless degenerate and 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 stuff like that. Um, It was it was private censorship that was imposed by the government.
4: And that was oh, before not... you were on our show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, the most quoted what? the most quoted line out of that book is one that I just adore. Uh, the saddest day of your life isn't when you decide to sell out. The saddest day of your life is when you decide to sell out and nobody wants to buy. And nobody's buying.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah I w- well. And I wanted to Ask you, Mr. Spinner, with all the shock jocks that are around on well, they're starting to die out a little bit, but you kind of started that the the character of jack oh, baron good. when when I first read the book, I was in college at the time, and this was longer than many of our listeners are alive, and not as many as not as long mm-hmm. as some of the others. Um, at the time, I had thought of. Uh, David Letterman, and now I'm sure people would think of somebody oh, like sure. Howard Stern or somebody like that. Um, do you think that some of the rise of the shock jocks might have even come from Bug Jack Barron?
1: No, I think it was something else that happened, uh, which was a lot of, uh, well, you had a guy named Robert K. Dornan in, uh, in, in California who started out as a, as a talk show host and, uh, and got himself elected to Congress. You had Pat Buchanan running for president. Same Ugh. thing. You had, <laughs> you had Silvio Berlusconi, who started out uh, as a as a singer on tour ships. Oh, same thing. Wow. The media. So what happened was that before that, the thing was picked up by people who ran for political office, just like that. Only they were all, you know, right wing fascists. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, and um, I, it wasn't so much the shock shocks that I think that the you know that 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 it create That it was this idea, which is a very powerful idea, still is that if you have an hour a week on television, uh, you know, you 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 can you 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 can run for political office on there.
2: Yeah, Fox Network does that on a fairly regular basis. Yeah, yeah but they
1: don't run. <laughs> but, yeah. but Buchanan did, and <laughs> Thornan did. Um, right. And, and, and there it is. Um, but, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the horrible thing is there's all been people who, you know, people on the right, really, you know. Um, yeah. And then it goes the other yeah. way. You have somebody like, um, you ha- you, ha- you have politicians who lose elections like this. Like uh, like Spitzer in New York, and Mike Huckabee, who then become television health.
4: Go um, God help us
1: go any other direction. God
2: help us.
4: <laughs> now, I was yeah, wondering if well, you could tell us about the uh, the screenplay for Bob Jack Baron that you're now directly selling. I mean, um, you're selling that as an ebook, is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my original thing written under a, a, an early um, ops, uh, independent option. And then um, uh, Universal bought it for Costa Cavas When Harlan wrote a script, they didn't like that. They didn't like my script. But Um, right, but uh, I mean, uh, there were other scripts written. Um, They own it forever. Yeah, yeah.
4: Right, but you've you've put out everything on e-books right now, and I know that uh, the whole issue with Osama the Gun, where the publishers weren't picking it up, and you released it yourself. How's that been working for you? It didn't
1: work. Um, uh-huh. You know, see, what happened with Osama the Gun was I, uh, uh, my French publisher, Fayard, bought the World Rights. And I persuaded them to let me try to do this. It didn't sell very well. It didn't sell as well as some of the you know, best, better selling of uh, 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 my backlist books. And that's because what I've discovered, all this is experimental and all this is up in the air now. Uh, um... My backlist my entire backlist is you know I mean is, is either in the process of being put on or is already on um everything, everything, even passing through the flame and, and fragments of America, really obscure stuff, um, is in the process of being on, uh, so it immortalizes the backlist. But to launch a book like that that's, that's is, is, is much more difficult. Um, because there are zillions of people doing it with a book like The Orange Dream or, or, or Bum Jack Brown, well people know what the book you know I mean it's got you know it's been reviewed people know what it is people are looking for it when it's new book it's out there with a zillion other books uh established books and a lot of that stuff is crap it's, it, it's you know it's. it's, it's amateur stuff and that was an experiment that really didn't work. I, I only put it out there for a limited time because that's what my publisher, my French publisher, wanted. And they were probably right. It just, it it it, it just didn't work. Um, the whole e thing is is, is, is very is 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 really very complicated now, and remains um, um, to be seen what happens. Um, so that didn't work. Now I've got another book that hasn't been found a publisher here yet which is going to be published this fall in france called uh welcome to your dream tom which is about um a device which is like a video like a dvd deck where you you can buy a dream and everything is in everything is in second person the the reader is the lead character uh huh. okay this author this is published in six different magazines Internet magazines, paper magazines in the states um, and and I still haven't found an American publisher for that yet um, the book the, the pieces of the book are, you know were have been published, but not the book yet um, it's uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm, right now I've got a, you know two and a half books backed up in this country that I have not been able to find a publisher for here, both all of which are being published in France by a big publisher. Um, the book industry here is in very bad trouble, um, and writers are in very bad trouble. Um, part of it is, big part of it is 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 the ebook revolution, which I was talking about five years ago, and, and I was saying, oh well, this is going to be, you know in ten years this is going to be the big thing. And people saying, oh come on, it's a crap, oh, it's bullshit. Um, well, I was wrong. It it was it, it was it was faster than that. <laughs> uh, uh, and here it is, and and nobody really knows what to do. Um, now, you know, uh, Orion Books. Is it Orion Books? Yeah. In in England, because they've also got the science fiction entho- uh encyclopedia, which is going to be free, which is free online. They have bought up three thousand backlist books from a lot of people. I latest count. So they're trying to get it all on. I got, I got about eight books on, and they bought 18. And it takes time to, you know, do them all. Uh, and then I've got, from an outfit called Reanimous, I've got Jack Baron, and I've got um, right. um, uh, Lester of the Golden Lord, that's already out there. They're also going to be doing Fragments of America. I don't know where they found a copy of that. Uh, and,
5: uh,
1: <laughs> and Children of Hamlin, another extremely rare book. And and, and passing through the flame, Uh, the other stuff. Well, actually, the other stuff is all going to be on from uh, from Orion eventually, except for the new stuff, except for uh, except for uh, um, except for um, except for what? Except for Osama the Gun and uh, uh, Welcome to Your Dream Travel And I'm writing a new book now called Police Day, Um, so. Everything is going to be on. Um, nothing disappears forever. Well, um, now, forever. now
2: that now that it's now that it's in the e form, nothing's ever going to disappear anymore. I mean, it's going to go. It,
1: it's not going to go out of print because it's not in print.
2: Right. Uh, I remember reading The Star Spangled Future, one of your collections, and uh, Other Americas, which to me was just an incredible, incredible anthology. And, you know, I,
1: uh, I, I, uh, I, I believe that, uh, I think that O'Reilly is doing those books. But it's wow. going to take time. They bought 3,000 books in, in a few months, and now they've got to get them all online.
2: Yeah, it, it takes it,
1: a while. Um, but they're all going to be there.
2: It's amazing because I remember, you know, the, my battered copies of them that uh, my daughter <laughs> then went through and and battered even more. You know, this is great stuff. Mm-hmm. Your span from ni- from the nineteen sixties, Agent of Chaos, Men in the Jungle, Bug Jack Baron, oh. to two tha- to to. He walked among us in 2003. Osama the Gun in 2007, and more books to come. We have been talking for an hour with one of the giants and, and, and an incredible gentleman, Norman Spinrad. We could talk for another three hours, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately, we can't. Yeah. So, well, I, I'd it's like it's to it's invite it's you. I'd, I'd like to invite you back at some point, sir. Well, I, I, I'd, I'd be happy to do that. That would be awesome. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, the gentleman is Norman Spinrad. The books are amazing. Uh, some of the first cyberpunk stuff. Some incredible, incredible, uh, chilling alternate history. I've also
4: got some, oh. some, some music, too. You know. And uh, we are going to be posting uh, your websites on our website so people can track down and order your ebooks
1: absolutely
4: yeah, the blog site is the blog, the blog site is more up to date than the WhatsApp. we'll do both for you absolutely
2: anyhow so late absolutely. oh it's that time. yes sir go ahead Axel.
4: okay no no I just have if uh, mr. spinrad if you could just stick around uh, after we read this please
1: Okay. okay
4: ladies and gentlemen it's that time next week it's loud. Is it? Next week, Summit City Comic Con founder Zach Cruz gives the inside scoop on this year's guest list. On May 12th, from brown coats to Z-Con, Mike Dougherty explains it all. On May 19th, we discover what's inside Mike Petchy's Grindhouse shorts. On May 26th, director Tony Diana on Attack of the Atomic Zombies, the official film of Boston Comic Con 2012. On June 2nd, we start planning Geek Week early with Kevin Harrington. June 9th, Double Midnight's Pat Covey joins us for our annual Granite Con special with featured GraniteCon artist Aaron Goslin. On June 16th, Boston Comic-Con artist extraordinaire Ann Kane. And on June 23rd, you won't be disappointed by Daniel Bradford and Owen McKinder of Disappointing Monsters. Sci-fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic-Con and of ComicArtHouse.com. Visit ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by The Traffic Lights. Pick up their CD Hold the Folk at RobWattsOnline.com
2: I want to thank our guest Norman Spinrad for joining us tonight on what turned out to be an hour with Norman Spinrad and could have gone for three or four or five. I want to thank our cast from the revered Time Vortex, Zombrarian. Thank You're welcome, and I
3: didn't mess anything up yet.
2: You've done great, honey. From the Four Color Vault of Comics, great thanks to Illustrator X and the Dead Red.
4: I'm still waiting for Kevin Eastman. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is Dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, the joy is increased, thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. Good
4: night. Oh, I know.